Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Now, of all the farmers and grazers in Australia, very few get to feel like our guest today on The Grill. By that I mean, whatever you grow or might produce, you probably consider it to be the very best of your particular product. But I can't think of anybody else in farming or grazing who has ever been proclaimed world champion. That's right, the best on the planet. And not just once, but twice. World champion and the product, the world's best steak from Jack's Creek, near Willetree in New South Wales. Welcome to Patrick Warmall. Good morning, Kerry. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. And do you ever get sick of being called a world champion? No, no, not at all. Like I can, I can run with that. <laughs> I suppose so, especially twice. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we're very, very lucky to um, to win our first, but to win the second was um, was very special. And uh, and then we even, in fact, we well, on the hat trick we came second. I couldn't believe it that we bombed it at the end, you know, like that. But um, yeah, now that was a, a very special and memorable time. I'll um, you know we'll cherish that forever. We'll certainly get to the uh, World Championship story, but uh, every story has a beginning. And when I started researching the Jack's Creek story, I came up with some very, very old photographs, black and white, of course. One's a photo of a shop with the sign Smithfield Butchery RH Warmall. That was you, I assume, or your family? Yeah, that was um, some of our original sort of immigrants from Ireland, um, like most Irish immigrants, we we came out poor, hungry, with holes in our clothes, <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, we, we we were butchering at Smithfield in Sydney. We're very lucky as a family. Um, we've um, we've managed to sort of hold on to a fair few um, photos, and we've got them. Yeah, I guess um, you know in the, in the hallways at home, and um, yeah, so we've sort of come full circle um, from yes. butchering in the 1860s to to Jack's Creek today. Wow, and there's another old photo it had a sign, Warmall and Beer, Wool and Skin Buyers. Where was that? So that was in Gunnedah. So that's, um, that's kind of like um, the origins of Jack's Creek, really. So that was my grandfather and my grandmother. That's just after the Second World War. And they had a skin trading business and uh, you know, they were a livestock trading business and they were buying and selling land. And um, so it wasn't until the late 60s till we moved to Breeza, where we are today, that we sort of firmly planted our roots in primary production. And that's not far from Gunnedah in northern New South Wales. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and then, you, um, then, you brought yeah. the, then you bought the famous Jack's Creek near Willow Tree, uh, the top of the Hunter Valley or the top of the range over the Hunter Valley. And then went yeah, heavily so, into Black Angus, I understand. Yeah, so my um, my uncle David Warmall, he um, he moved to yeah to Big Jacks Creek, the property name, in '83, and we're breeding um, a few Angus down there. I, look, I suspect Black Angus in those days weren't the most popular cattle in the world. That was showing a bit of foresight. Well, I was born in '82, so I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, so they were doing a few Angus down there, and um, and at the same time, my father was going cotton at Fraser, and and that sort of combination worked well for them um, in the eighties, and sort of until they got to discovering Wagyu, which was um, yeah in the early nineties. So. That that was again showing considerable foresight. Uh, you became involved with Wagyu. How did you come about getting with Wagyu? Because I suspect there wouldn't have been more than a couple of dozen Wagyu in Australia at that at that point. Yeah, so uh, my father actually was reading a Time magazine in the dentist in Gunnedah, strangely enough, and he came across some article about Wagyu and 
uh, subsequently told my uncle and um, he sort of went round um, about and um, bumped into uh, to Wally Ray, who uh, we consider the godfather of Wagyu in Australia, and um, we're able to get some genetics from him and we um, we started breeding in 1991, um, our, um, our Wagyu. And I think my late, um, my late uncle, David Warmley, sadly passed away um, this year. He sort of claims to be the seventh um, person to have joined the, the Wagyu industry. So, yeah, and no, we're pretty proud of that. Absolutely. So you build your herd. I assume they'd be F1, so which is, of course, a Wagyu bull and an Angus heifer. That's how it developed? Yeah, that's right. So in those days, it was, um, it was AI. Um, we didn't have the, the bulls in Australia. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like a lot of trial and error. Like, uh, you know, we're just trying something new and started with the F1, like you said, and um, breeding for the Japanese live export trade. Um, but we needed a home for the heifers. They're only taking steers. So we started them in the feedlot. And, um, yeah, and then from there, we sort of ended up with a box beef program. Um, you know, being farmers, we didn't have that um, meat experience. So... Um, another gentleman, um, Peter Cobb, joined the, the company, um, and we yeah we kicked off the Jack's Creek brand of beef program in '96 yeah, and sort of taken it from there. So. I assume you quickly realised if you wanted to have any scale in your business, you had to be a, an export business. Where did you? When did you start exporting Wagyu? Well, well once again, you know, um, we were lucky that we were EU accredited and. Um, you know, we really focused on um, the EU market. Um, so in those days, like the, the lean cuts and you know, I guess the, the prime cuts would go up to Europe and then on the balance of the carcass would uh, would go to Korea and uh, and then trimmings, well, it, it, and, and any sort of byproduct, they would just be going into commodity markets. Um, you know, Wagyu was very much about, um, you know, the tenderloin strip loin cube roll in those days and, just trying to convince people that we could produce Wagyu in Australia was pretty hard. Uh, marbling itself hadn't sort of um, become a focus. Um, it was probably more the breed we were focusing on in those days and days on feed. Um, but, you know, it's developed into a highly sophisticated business these days um, about the entire life cycle of the animal and marbling is probably the sort of key focus. Now, you're still breeding, I assume, but you do buy in cattle? To buy in wheaters, for example, yeah. and, and put them on feed for how long? So, look, you know, like any business, when you're growing, you know, um, you need to um, to bring in other partners. And you know, today we, um, you know, we're processing sort of between 1,200 and 1,500 cattle a week at two different abattoirs. Um, the 25% of that production being Wagyu and and the balance being Angus. And you know, to do that, we've had to um, you know develop a full supply chain. So yeah, we do breed. Um, some wagyu, they're purebred wagyu at um, at Jack's Creek, um, but um, you know we buy in cattle um, at Breezer for backgrounding, um, and then they're taken to to feedlots on the oh, up at the border and the Darling Downs, fed there for a sort of anywhere from sort of 120 um, being Angus, um, three to 500 days at the top end for wagyu, um, and then we you know we take them to the abattoirs, and so you know we've got a supply chain these days which in Incorporates lots of different vendors and of cattle vendors, feedlots, um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's really sort of taken a life of its own. Now you you had a very or you have a very successful relationship with the abattoir at Casino. China put a stop to that for a while, didn't they? They stopped the export license out of Casino. How did you handle that? Yeah, unfortunately, we've had a couple of disruptions there. Um, you know, they had their first one back 
um, in, I think it was July or August um, 2017, and then more recently last year in May. Um, yeah, look, you know, that's, that's tricky for, for everybody. Um, you know, credit to the management at, um, at Casino. They've done a fantastic job to keep that place going, particularly with what's going on on the um, supply side cattle. You know, just so tight and then not to have China as well. It's been really difficult for them and us. And, um, yeah, look, I think the main way we've managed it as a business um, is through market diversification. So you know, n- not any one of our export markets is greater than 20% of our, um, of our total sales. Uh, and, you know, we've also set up a, um, an office in Los Angeles. We did that just before COVID hit. Um, so we've got a couple of people over there importing our um, Jack's Creek box beef and, and, you know, and selling it throughout the US and North America. And, you know, so trying to have that balanced approach, but, um, you know, it's really tough. Um, you know, China's a fantastic market, um, you know, and as exporters, we want to have as much access as possible um, to, you know, to as many markets as possible. So it's, um, yeah, I just hope that, um, you know, that over time that, um, you know, Casino and all the other establishments in Australia are able to, to regain um, access to that, you know, that really good market. Are you getting anything into China at this stage or has it been replaced well, we, elsewhere? Um, yeah, so uh, like in the first, um, you know, instance, um, you know, we started processing uh, H1D for China and, um, you know, in the second instance, um, we've, you know, we started processing at ACC and our production these days is split um, 50-50 between the two um, with our, you know, China business um, going through ACC using their accreditation. And um, so, yeah, we've still maintained our market access, I guess, um, or business up there. Um, yeah. Time for a quick word from our sponsors, the Alenco Animal Health People. Back in a moment. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. Welcome back to On The Grill. Our guest today, world state champion Patrick Wormall. So prior to China uh, hitting the wall for a, for a lot of reasons which we all are aware of, you're travelling well when your importer from Germany, I understand, calls and asks permission if he can put your stake in a competition in England called the World State Challenge. What year would have yeah. that have been and what was your reaction yeah, so that was back in 2015. Um, and every second year we have a, um, a trade show over there in Uga, which we all like to go to. And, uh, yeah, it was being held just after that in London. And, you know, our distributor over there, um, Albers, uh, he, um, yeah, he mentioned the World State Challenge. And we thought, yeah, why not? I'll stay an extra few days. We'll go up to London together and we'll go to this competition. And um, so he just picked... Um, a single strip point from our standing infantry in Germany and submitted it. And it was, um, yeah, it's like there was no sort of, I guess, information or criteria on what you needed to submit, how it needed to be trimmed or, uh, you know, how, how long it could be aged for or anything like that. It was just simply put in a strip point or sirloin um, and um, see how you go. So, yeah, we won. Um, we were not. We were not expecting that. <laughs> I imagine you would thought of this as a bit of a novelty, or uh, it's a, 
a wild, fanciful hope that you might achieve something out of it. Oh, we're just we're having a bit of fun, really, truly. Like it wasn't something that we were sort of um, zoning in on at that time. Um, and but you know, like we 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 were travelling a lot at that stage and made a lot of friends. And you know, some of the friends we made were from um, from Greater Omaha, the um, uh, the beef company, and they travel around with a um, a senator from Nebraska a bit and he was there and um, actually um, had a, um, a 50 US dollar bet with him uh, on who would win get the highest points basically and I didn't have $50 on me at the time <laughs> um, particularly US and uh, anyway when, when our name was read out and we won and you see this big corn fed Nebraskan guy like he's massive you know, storming over to him through the crowd and he just fisted me 50 US dollars and I was just like thank you <laughs> and it was just so much fun, you know, in that moment, you know, I felt really good about ourselves with Australia and all that sorts of things. Well, you made a lot of uh, noise back here and everybody was very happy for you. But the next year, you actually got a bit serious about this and the big mob of you, I understand, from Jack's Creek actually went to the World Stake Challenge for the second year and you win again. Yeah, we made a really big deal of it, actually, um, and a lot of fun. So, yeah, a few of us went over and... Uh, and we, even before that, we had um, our, a delegation from Germany come over with um, some chefs and they actually helped us select the meat and we went right through the process of how we produced the beef with them, etc. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we won. Nothing like making a big deal about something and then winning. And uh, yeah, that was like a, a bit of a turning point for us. You know, we always thought we had a brand, but I think, you know, these days we sort of say, no, we probably more so had a label. Um, and then, you know, the first win sort of put us on the map and then the second win um, sort of turned us into a brand. And I guess that's where things sort of started to change for us and we started to grow a lot. Um, we're having conversations, you know, business to business, but now we can have conversations business to consumer. Um, and it was just, it was it was one of the makings, or if not the sort of biggest making of, of the Jack's Creek brand today. So, yeah. It's been great. Tell us about the stake that actually won that title the second time round. What was it uh, from and what cut? And what did the judges say? Do you remember? Yeah, so uh, like the people who run at a William Reed Media, they're behind 50 best restaurants um, as well. So they, you know, they do a lot of these competitions. Initially, it was just our purebred Wagyu, uh, fed for 500 days, uh, and um, a sirloin. Uh, and then in the second year, um, it was a sirloin again. But subsequently, like, they've, they've sort of, like, expanded the competition. Like, in the third year, there was now a ribeye category, um, a tenderloin category. There's, like, a grass-fed, grain-fed categories. And, you know, they've really expanded the competition to try and, like, open it up to, to more and more um, people uh, or businesses. But uh, to be honest, I, I can't remember the um you know the judges comments around like the flavor and stuff like that but what was very interesting were their comments around our um our presentation of the beef and they were very impressed by how we trim our beef in australia you know we trim it very well um in comparison to say um the japanese beef or the u.s beef and so i remember those comments distinctly that um, they thought our beef was presented very well now you won it twice so you've mentioned partially the commercial impact but Surely your phone must have been ringing at Jack's Creek from importers from all over the world. Yeah, so uh, I guess like where we sort of found the biggest uptick was with our, our existing um, uh, customers. 
you know, when, say you're in a, a, a city like Dubai and uh, you've got a, um, a, wake, a wake person who is, um, you know, English is a third language, it's very easy to communicate um, that you've got the world, uh, world's best steak on the menu. Uh, and they don't have to explain a large story um, or use um, difficult words. Um, and so, yeah, it has a lot of punch, that phrase. So we probably saw, like, you know, more business coming from our existing customers because they were able to more easily sell it into their markets. But most definitely people were ringing and um, you know, had a lot of fun jumping on radio segments with people like Ben Fordham. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool, you know, like, People were saying to call it the Wagyu Olympics or the Beef Olympics and things like that. <laughs> yes. And that was, um, that was, you know, warm and fuzzies again. <laughs> yeah. Now, the third year, only second. And the year after that, only second. What happened? Oh, I don't know. Pressure, mate. Pressure. It just built too much. <laughs> Second's <laughs> not bad. And you, did, you did win one of the side prizes for the world's best fillet steak, was it? Yeah, so we've done that a couple of times. Now, most recently, we did it uh, two years ago. So with COVID, it wasn't held last year. Um, but the year before that, um, it was held in um, in Dublin. And, and that, in fact, that year, we decided not to use any Jack's Creek bred cattle. We focused solely on our um, third-party suppliers. So one of our suppliers, John Martin, from down south, he actually supplied the, the winning fillet for us. So, um, yeah, that was that was a really good achievement for him. Now, the, the titles are on again later this year, I understand? Yeah, in November. And you'll, so, be doing um, it, uh, you'll be doing it virtually. You will enter, but you'll be doing it virtually from Jack's Creek itself. Well, we uh, up until yesterday, I actually thought we were only going to um, attend virtually, but um, I realised that um, uh, one of the guys from our US office would be able to fly over. So Diego, who's over there, he'll probably attend on our behalf, which is... Yeah, pretty cool, actually. I'm really Patrick, excited Patrick, about that. When's that on? What date? Uh, in November. Right. So the start of November. This one thing I have to close on is is the price of uh, Wagyu steers these days. Live weight, they're just going through the roof at, at, at beggar's belief, $8, $59. Is that a reasonable assessment or is it even more than that? Yeah, so we're seeing, uh, like Wagyu is always, um, you know, there's quite a fair spread in the pricing depending on the quality. Um, F-type um, and, you know, I guess uh, size and age of the animal. But, um, yeah, we know we're seeing like anywhere from sort of $8 on f one through to, you know, you hear some, um, you know, the lighter end full bloods making $14. You know, there's there's a big spread there. Um, is there a danger? But, um, is there yeah, a, a Patrick, is there a danger in that price going just too high? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, happens every time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to happen on all categories every time. You know, there's um, always that late cycle um, hiccup for you know, some part of the supply chain. Well, um, and normally it sort of happens when drought sort of starts to kick in. Well, some one thing fixes high prices, I always say, and that is high prices. So we'll just have to wait and see with that. But Patrick, thank you for being with us on the grill and good luck in that World Steak Challenge for November. Thank you very much, Kerry. Great to talk. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health.